Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets, tips, and tricks for leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen. And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization, or looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations, stay tuned. As nonprofit founders, we often find ourselves grappling with questions like, how can we efficiently keep track of the donations that come in? Is an Excel spreadsheet the best approach to stay organized? To shed some light on this topic, we have invited a seasoned expert in accounting and finance, Sean Hale, to join us today. With over 20 years of experience serving nonprofits, Sean has a deep understanding of the unique financial needs and challenges faced by organizations like ours. Sean's passion lies in streamlining the administrative side of nonprofits, allowing them to truly focus and shine. Throughout his career, he has implemented strategies that reduce waste generate new revenue streams, boost staff productivity and morale, enhance financial transparency, and minimize risk. Sean has also helped boards and management to navigate complex situations and consistently left the organizations stronger and ready for the next stage of growth. Today, he gets to lead a team of outstanding nonprofit accounting and finance professionals. Together, they provide temporary and ongoing services to small and mid-sized nonprofits so they can have the back office support they need for the whole organization to flourish. Additionally, Sean is the co-founder of Philanthroforce, a nonprofit capacity builder that makes it easier for nonprofits to find the right consultant. It's great to have you join us today, Sean. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Kayla and Carmen, for having me on your show. Sean, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I would love to hear your thoughts on the contrasting accounting practices between nonprofit organizations and regular corporations. How do they differ in your experience? It's always fascinating to uncover the unique financial management approaches for nonprofits and how they set them apart from the corporate world. Thank you for asking that. And, you know, I, I won't be able to give the definitive word on that for that. You might want to get like a couple of accounting professors into the room, but I can certainly share from my point of view that some of the differences are just superficial. Like in for-profit, you might talk about a profit, right? The amount of money that you have left over after you pay all your expenses. Whereas in a nonprofit, they might want to talk about surplus. Some nonprofiteers cringe when they hear the word profit. And so... There are some vocabulary differences there, even though the, the underlying concepts and the way the work gets done would be the same. And most of the accounting principles are the same, but there's a big, big difference. And I've seen this too many times in the chart of accounts. Chart of accounts is just a fancy term for the way that your bookkeeping is organized. I've seen too many organizations where they ask their cousin who's a CPA because, well, my cousin's a CPA, they can get us all set up for our bookkeeping. And their, their cousin might be a brilliant CPA for a Fortune 500 company or what have you, or for a construction business or whatever. What they learned at a Fortune 500 company or at a construction company is not good preparation for setting up the chart of accounts for a nonprofit because a nonprofit is going to 
track and spend its money differently, especially if it has different kinds of programs. And so this is one of those things where it's expensive to fix it after the fact. If you don't get it set up right the first time, then your data can be a mess. And it's not hard to find nonprofits who wonder why financial reports don't provide them any useful information. And it's half of that is because the chart of accounts wasn't set up to really answer their core questions about their financial health. And so that's one thing that I would encourage anybody, if, if you're having pain with your financial reports, talk to a specialist because it might be your chart of accounts is a mess. It might be that something else is a mess, but that would be a, a, a likely thing to look at if you're having trouble just getting good questions, basic questions asked out of your financials. And certainly rather than talking, getting your cousin to do it, unless your cousin knows nonprofit bookkeeping, get a specialist in that to help you make sure that you get it set up right the first time, because then quality of the information that you're going to get back out of there is very different. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And maybe you just address this, but let's talk about the fact that a lot of our listeners are very new to the nonprofit space. Maybe in addition to making sure their chart of accounts is set up accurately, are there any other first steps that a nonprofit organization should take when they're ready to start handling funds? That's absolutely a good question. And there are so many good folks who have a project they want to do to help their community. And it's a lot of information to really kind of get out and do the work well on day one. And so certainly I would encourage everyone who is getting into setting up a nonprofit to get good training for yourself and your board of directors, because it's really important to understand the difference between board and staff, and also for the board to understand what their roles are and their responsibilities. Being a board member is not just funding games, although it can be funding games, but there are real legal duties and consequences if you don't do those duties well. So it's not just, you know, getting together with your friends and having a glass of wine, although it can include that. Sometimes the board trainings, if they're just an hour or two, may not dive deep onto the financial part, but that's actually, it might be the least fun part of it for some folks because numbers can cause anxiety for a lot of folks. But it's the most critical part of the board member's job. If you can only do one thing well as a board member, it's make sure that the fiduciary duty is happening well. And the third thing I would put in there is, like I mentioned earlier, getting that chart of accounts set up right, insisting on getting that done right the first time. And you don't have to necessarily pay somebody, but make sure if you're going to be getting a volunteer to do that, that they know what they are doing in that department. And so really look that gift horse in the mouth if you are going to get somebody to donate that piece of it to you. So I actually do have a little bit of understanding of what a chart of accounts looks like because I have an accounting background. So let me make sure I'm following you on this. You're saying, you know, a normal corporation with a chart of accounts, let's just keep it super simple, right? Has expenses and income, but within a nonprofit, you might have, okay, these are expenses for volunteers. These are expenses to keep our organization running. These are board expenses, or these are different program expenses. Is that what you're saying as far as like keeping those categorically correct? To a certain degree, some of it is absolutely tracking the expenses and the revenue in a way that you might not do if you were running like a small construction company or a, a landscaping business or something like that. If you're running a landscaping business, you're not going to have like four different types of programs, and you're not going to have to report back to your funders on how you spent the money, right? 
that would be a really awful kind of burdensome thing to put on the person who mows your lawn that, well, let me know how much of that $75 I paid you to take care of my lawn this week. How much did you spend on gasoline? How much did you spend on labor? That would be unreasonable and silly, but that is something that many grantors do to nonprofits. And so the nonprofits have to be able to provide an answer to that. The other piece of that, it's, it's those multiple funding sources. And so it's not enough to be able to just say that $100,000 we spent on personnel last year, $25,000 we charged to the Apple grant and 15,000 we charged to the banana grant, so on and so forth. Especially if you get into government funding, like you need to track that differently. And then the other piece of that is, and businesses can get into having what they might call in, in fancy business speak, multiple verticals for a nonprofit that would be kind of multiple program. Nonprofits, even when they're small, they're much more likely than a small business to have multiple programs. And you want to be able to track those separately so that you can see, okay, our cat program is earning a pretty good profit. We're losing money on our dog program and our fundraising, we're spending $100,000 and we're only bringing in $50,000. And so to be able to segment that those revenue and expenses helps you get a better sense of what's going on. And you can look at that and go, wow, well, if we're spending more money than we're getting on our fundraising, maybe we should revisit how we're doing fundraising. Or the dog program, like we thought we were running that the same way as the cat program, but for some reason there we're getting different financial results. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily kill the dog program, but you look at, well, what, what is going on here? Are there things that are different enough about dogs that the financial part isn't working out the same way? Or are there lessons from the cat program that we did not carry over to the dog program? Those are questions that you need to answer. And if those are all mushed up into one thing like you would do if you had a landscaping business, then it's hard for you to separate out where is are we healthy? Where might we need some extra work? I appreciate those concrete examples, Sean. And along the same lines of new nonprofits spinning up, what would you say are the accounting best practices for an organization that might still in the process of obtaining their 501c3 status and they operate with limited funds? How can these organizations effectively manage their finances despite these challenges? Well, not having a 501c3 yet is a complication, but it can also be a blessing. So I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial, but don't rush to get a 501c3. If you don't have one yet, especially if you've never run a small business, if you've never been in a top leadership position in a nonprofit, then you have a massive, massive, massive learning curve at the same time that you are trying to establish an organization and the programs and get the programs focusing well. So if you have a good program that's already working well, then one of the best things that you can do rather than setting up a 501c3 is going out and finding a fiscal sponsor. And that's kind of like a shortcut, a backdoor, because a fiscal sponsor, they're going to be an established nonprofit. It might be a nonprofit like the Humane Society, or it might be your local church or house of worship or any number of, of sorts of 501c3s, hopefully one with whom you have an affinity and where the program that you're wanting to do is aligned with what they're already doing. So go to them and say, hey, can I work under your umbrella, under your legal umbrella? They will typically take a cut of your revenue. And they are providing to you that administrative support while you're working out the 999 things that you need to do just to get your programs really running smoothly and to get your programs in a position and have the, and demonstrate that those are working so that you can go to a grantor and say, hey, 
not only do I have an awesome idea, but I have proof that it's working, give us more money. And so that lets you test and make sure that all your stuff's working well. And so you're only climbing one hill instead of two or three. That's really good advice. Thanks for that. For nonprofit organizations, what are some recommended methods for implementing financial tracking? Are there specialized tools or certain resources that they should go to? Absolutely. Right before y'all hit record, I brought up uh, TechSoup, which is one of my favorite resources for nonprofits. And so for accounting, once you get past the ability to get somewhere with checkbook accounting and a $5,000, $50,000 nonprofit, especially if you don't have any grants, you can do checkbook accounting and just like throw it all into Excel and have that do the math for you, or even literally do checkbook accounting on with paper and pen. But once you get past that point, once you really, the, the right software for any small nonprofit, it's going to be QuickBooks. And the reason I say that is through TechSoup, it's almost free, even though otherwise for the rest of it, it's not exactly cheap. It's not crazy expensive compared to others either. So it's really good price through TechSoup because TechSoup has awesome discounts for nonprofit technology. But then also everybody knows QuickBooks. When the day comes when you need a bookkeeper, it's easy to find somebody who's trained on QuickBooks. It's much harder to find somebody who's trained on any of the other accounting software out there. And similarly, if you're going to be doing it yourself for a while, there are good tutorials out there, many more free tutorials on YouTube and elsewhere on QuickBooks than there is for any other uh, software out there. A, a runner-up, at least in the United States market, would be Zero X-E-R-O, but QuickBooks still has five or 10 times the market share and the reputation and the people who are familiar with it. Not that QuickBooks is perfect. It's not. I scream at it regularly, but I know I'd be screaming a whole lot more if it were any of the other products. Great. And I have two follow-up questions about that. The first one is, for those of us who are too lazy to go to TechSoup.com and check this out for ourselves, is it going to ask us if we're 501c3 registered or not? Do we need to have that to benefit? Yes and no. So uh, yeah, the website is TechSoup.org and there are absolutely some wonderful free resources on there, like lots and lots of good articles and things that you can access without creating an account. But if you want to be able to purchase the software at the nonprofit discount, then there's going to be an application process. And it's not complicated. You fill out a form, you let them know what your EIN is and takes a few days or a couple of weeks. Then you can start buying stuff on there. There, yeah, it's just a ton of good resources. TechSoup also has regular webinars, so trainings for folks on a variety of technology and technology adjacent things for nonprofits. So it's a true treasure in the nonprofit landscape and they've been around for like 20 years. And so they're not going anywhere. They've been there, they've done that and they're doing it really well. The next follow-up question then is, so you mentioned doing your accounting through QuickBooks or even, you know, pen and paper, whatever works at first. I know it's probably a best practice to keep your business's expenses separate from your own, right? Gracious, yes. <laughs> yes. Challenge that we have run into specifically is we don't have an EIN, so it's very challenging to open up a bank account. And then once you do open up a bank account, there are minimums that come into play. And a lot of small nonprofits don't have those minimums to meet the bank account balance. Do you have some advice for working around this? So the first one is, so if you have a 501c3, then you should be able to get an EIN in like five minutes. Those are free and instantaneous through the IRS website. But if you don't have a 501c3, 
and you're handling money, then that means the money is probably legally yours. It belongs to a person, right? Rather than an organization. And so, yeah, the bank will open up a bank account in your name, but not necessarily in the name of a nonprofit that still doesn't legally exist. And so, you know, fiscal sponsorship, again, can be a really powerful and easy way to get going, especially if you happen to already be a member of a faith community, getting them to just help see you through the first six months while your paperwork goes to the IRS. But the other thing is then, yeah, opening up a bank account with a small balance. Credit unions can be helpful with this. And also there are some banks that are more helpful than others because ultimately you may outgrow your credit union. A lot of them are pretty simple in terms of the tools they have and the online depositing and the other kind of modern conveniences that we've gotten used to. But certainly check out your credit union because they tend to be very easy to join and not have like big deposit requirements. But then some banks have earned a terrible reputation like Wells Fargo, and that's another story for another day. Some banks have done a lot to gain people's trust and to earn it. And certainly one that I'm a big fan of is Truist, T-R-U-I-S-T. They don't have full national coverage. They're in probably like 15 to 30 states, something like that. And, And there are others like them. They do a really nice job and are just have outstanding customer service and don't charge crazy fees. And so I've hooked a client up with them. I've just moved. um, I'm in the process of moving my business banking from my local credit union, which they're lovely people, but they're just not set up to do some of the things that I need for business backend. And I'm in the process of moving that over to Truist. That's helpful for us to potentially look into it because that's something we're struggling with to find a bank that we trust and that we are able to put our funds into it. When it comes to managing funds from fundraising and grants, what would you say are some common budget tracking errors that organizations often make? Do you shed some light on the pitfalls to avoid in order to ensure effective financial management in these areas? So we already covered one of them, right? The chart of accounts, making sure that gets set up right the first time. And it's set up for the organization that you are today and that you aspire to be in five years. So that you, because when you change the chart of accounts, it's expensive, it's time consuming, and it makes it hard to compare new financial reports with old ones. The other thing that I would recommend, and I've seen this happened too many times. Don't use QuickBooks as your CRM. A CRM is a customer relationship management tool, aka your donor database. Too many good folks have thought, well, you know, QuickBooks, it'll track people's names and their addresses and phone numbers and email addresses and how much they donated. And so why wouldn't I use that as my CRM? And the reason that you don't do that is that's about all that QuickBooks will do in that department. And so when you need to do things like a mass email to all of your folks or a mass physical mailing or to find out who gave our organization last year, but not this year, those are questions that QuickBooks is not designed to answer quickly. And there are a hundred other kind of fundraising 101 things that you have to do, even in a small organization that QuickBooks doesn't make easy. And I was having lunch with a colleague and this is a good size organization, well over a million people. They'd been using QuickBooks as their CRM. And I go, what? Like I almost spit out my food because they've been using it as their CRM. Like whenever they needed to do a mailing, it would take hours literally to get the data out of QuickBooks and put it in the form that it needed just to be able to do a simple mailing. And so what they did was they hired another development staffer to do that. That's an incredibly expensive workaround to hire another full-time person. Instead, 
don't use QuickBooks as your CRM. There are really good donor databases out there, some of them on TechSoup, some of them elsewhere. TechSoup does have really good articles to help you figure out which one might be the right match for you, but you're going to spend a lot less in terms of time and eventually in terms of money by getting the right tool for tracking your donors on day one. Yeah, and I can just imagine pulling things out of QuickBooks into Excel and then running all of these functions to clean up the data and the copying and the pasting. And you are preaching to the choir. I totally hear that. Let's talk a little bit about financial risk. What are some of the most effective approaches for identifying and mitigating financial risk in a nonprofit? So we already talked a little bit about getting good training, right? For your board, for your staff. If you're an executive director, if you're the chief of the lead staff person and you haven't done this kind of thing before, be sure to get good training for yourself because there are a hundred landmines out there. So if you're a founder, also go out there and get good training. Separation of duties is an important one. This is an accounting concept and the basic idea, like you were saying, Kayla, reduce your risk. And then if you can't eliminate your risk, but detect it early if something bad happens. And so separation of duties, the basic idea is don't have one person who controls all the parts in the financial process, because it's when you have a single person who opens the mail and deposits the checks and records the money in the financial system and is printing the checks and is signing the checks. If something goes wrong, who's the finger going to get pointed at, right? And also, how tempted is that person ever going to be, right? There's a high level of temptation there because there's nobody else involved in the processes, right? And any person, no matter how much of a saint they are, any of us can have a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. We can make bad personal decisions, or we can have a family member who gets really sick. And so it can start off with, hey, I'm just going to borrow a thousand bucks from the organization. I'll, I'll pay it back by the end of the year. And then that $1,000 turns into $5,000, turns into $10,000. And, and fraud happens way too often in businesses and in nonprofits. And too often it begins because there weren't good internal controls. There were not good separation of duties. And so that person who felt a little bit of temptation was able to follow through on that temptation rather than, oh, I should not just write myself a check for $1,000. If I'm really in a tough place, I better go talk to somebody else and ask for an advance. P.S. Giving an advance to staff is a terrible idea, but you, it's much better to have the staff person go and ask for you in advance and maybe even give it than for them to potentially be stealing from the organization because that's a slippery, slidey slope. Yeah, that makes sense. So at a bare minimum, a separation between who's doing accounts receivable and who's doing accounts payable. Yeah, at bare minimum, yeah. And I would also add on for nonprofits, even your mid-sized nonprofits, but especially small nonprofits, managed IT is a really good investment. There is a crazy amount of danger on the internet these days. And even if you have a staff person who's really loves IT, if that's not their day job, then they're an amateur and amateurs cannot prevent cyber crime anymore. There's just too much of it. And so have those safeguards. And also uh, IT professionals, they're able to deal with a computer problem or this, that, and the other that we're not experts on. So it, it really does pay for itself. I've seen too many smart people spend too many hours trying to fix their own equipment when they could have given it to an IT professional. That person fixes it in half an hour, 15 minutes. And meanwhile, the person who's really supposed to be raising money for you or doing your accounting can be doing some other task that's helping your organization rather than 
pretending to be an IT professional. And the other bit on a related note is uh, fractional CFOs for nonprofits. So most small nonprofits, you know, even a million, $2 million, $3 million budget don't necessarily need a full-time CFO, but having somebody who's doing that for five, 10, 20 hours a month can make a massive difference in terms of the organization's financial health, the way the financial data gets communicated and the way that management and the board are able to engage in strategic financial decision-making because they have a strategic financial thought partner to help them to assist with that. podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions, leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Fill out the form in our show notes to request the assistance of a thoroughly vetted project manager, 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another. Now let's talk about your work with Sean Hill Consulting. John, when you consult with nonprofit organizations on financial management, do you usually provide one-time services or does it turn into an ongoing partnership? I'm curious to know how your consulting relationships with nonprofits play out in terms of duration and collaboration. Thank you, Carmen. And the answer is yes. Sometimes it's a one-off. Sometimes it's an ongoing relationship from the beginning. Sometimes it morphs from a standalone project into more of a long-term engagement. Both of those things are very common for the team and me. So special projects, one-time projects can include things like interim accounting, right? Where there's a staffing gap in the organization, just needs some help to hold things together for a specific period of time, where they're hiring to fill an empty position. We also do indirect cost rate calculations for nonprofits and That's an important thing to do if you're receiving uh, government grants so that you can actually get fully reimbursed for the indirect costs of your project, because otherwise the government's only going to give you up to 10%. Very often, the indirect cost of doing a project might be 20, 30, 40% or more. And so if you're not getting that reimbursed from the government, you're having to go out and fundraise for it. And so that's a service that we provide is doing those calculations. And we also have a service that we call the administrative assessment where we get in deep with the organization and help them figure out with all their administrative workings, kind of what's strong, what could use some help, where are their opportunities, where are their threats? You know, they might be really weak on the segregation of duties and the internal controls. That would be a threat. The kind of project, especially that we do most often that's ongoing would be the fractional CFO work I mentioned earlier, where that really is a long-term engagement because and until that organization gets to be large enough that it makes sense for them to bring somebody in-house more than what we're able to do for them for 20, 30, 40 hours a month. Could you provide a little more background and information on the fractional CFO practice, specifically in terms of suitability for nonprofit organizations and what they can expect in terms of timeline? So yeah, the timeline, if I had somebody just ready and eager to go, we could, today's Monday, 
I'm sure we could have a signed contract by Friday and have somebody ready to go on Monday or Tuesday of next week. But in terms of how it works or even why it works, the landscape for accounting and nonprofits and accounting in general has changed radically in the last three years. And it was already the indicators were not good in terms of being able to do things the way that we've always done them. The Great Resignation brought a lot of light to this really big accountant and CPA shortage. In 2019, 70% of all the CPAs in the United States were at retirement age, 70%. And we're doing a terrible job as a country replacing that. Younger people are not going into accounting as a profession. And just in the past two years, 17% of all CPAs have left the profession. And so it's no surprise that it's really, really hard to hire a good experienced accountant these days. And even before the pandemic, nonprofit accounting staff were spread too thin. There was too often this expectation that one person was going to be both the bookkeeper and the CFO. The more I see of it, the more I realize that was never a good idea. And it's gotten to be an even worse idea. Really like a bookkeeper is somebody who's going to do data entry for you. And that's a different skill set, and you can hire somebody at a different pay rate and with a different level of education and experience than with a CFO who is going to be somebody with a more experience, more training, and they're going to be doing much more analysis and strategic thought partnership with the organization. And so you might need 80 hours a month or 40 hours a month of a bookkeeper, but you probably you might need only five or 10 of a CFO. Far better to get those from two different places rather than either overpay a bookkeeper or underpay a CFO and expect that you're going to get good results. And so what does a fractional CFO do? Really everything that a full-time CFO would do, but kind of smaller scale, right? And so this might be 5, 10, 20, 40 hours a month, depending on the organization's size and how, what they need, but they are. They're that strategic financial thought partner for the board and for management so that you can make good decisions because otherwise they don't have the staff or anybody on the board who knows nonprofit finance. Even if you have a CPA or a CFO from a cement company on your board, that's going to be different from having somebody who actually knows nonprofit CFO responsibilities. This person, one of their key jobs is going to be making the financial data accessible to everybody. And I want to share with you a really key number. 93% of American adults have math anxiety. 93% have math anxiety. And so, of course, put a financial report in front of most people and their eyes glaze over and they don't participate in the conversation. There's a massive inclusion issue here that we're only barely beginning to talk about in the nonprofit world. We tell ourselves that we want all these great diverse voices on our boards and on our management and our leadership to help us make good decisions. If we're speaking what a language to them that might as well be Klingon or Esperanto, then you know, we shouldn't be surprised by the terrible results that we're getting when it comes to engagement. And so part of a fractional CFO's job is to help make that financial data accessible to everybody so we can really be inclusive with that critical part of organizational management and organizational governance. They're gonna lend a hand with the budgeting process, they're going to lend a hand with making sure that the financial and administrative processes are running smoothly so that you can have as much impact as possible as an organization. I have a follow-up question for you on, as a sufferer of math anxiety, you're talking about making it accessible, right? Do you think 
and I'm sure we could go on about this for a while. Um, so we'll just keep it high level. But I know I personally really like charts and graphs for that reason. So you see a lot of BI tools coming into this. Do you think this is kind of part of that solution? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for digging into this. Graphs make the data so much easier for everybody to engage with. Even the numbers people find good graphs to just be a much faster way to interface with the data. And I think I shared with you all for the show notes, a video I made kind of illustrating that point. Like it starts off with a, here's a traditional balance sheet just a whole bunch of numbers, but it's not a very typical thing that people put down in front of boards and expect the boards to make sense out of it. And then I take that same data and turn it into some cute little graphs. Yeah, it makes it really easy to go, oh my gosh, this organization might have some stuff going on. We have some questions, right? That's what you want. You want your board engaged with that and helping you identify those good questions and for them to do their due diligence. And they can't if they're not engaged with the numbers. And when the board disengages from their fiduciary duty, other bad things happen, like fraud, which we want to avoid, right? Awesome. Thank you. And in the case of an organization facing consecutive years of deficit, besides hiring a fractional CFO, what approach would you suggest that they can do to resolve this financial challenge? Well, certainly... I'd be careful about how that you approach that whole thing because some organizations have the idea that deficit is a bad word and the deficit is scary and it doesn't have to be. I have a client who they're working on a massive deficit budget, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not scary at all because last year they brought in a whole lot of multi-year grants. So if you're following strict accounting rules, you recognize the revenue when you got it, even if you're spending it later. And so if you got the money last year, but you're spending it this year, technically that's a deficit, but they're not in financial trouble. They're in great financial health. An organization, depending on how much cash it has in the bank or how many multi-year grants it's received, can technically run a deficit for many, many years without it being a problem. But if you were seeing your cash reserves go down steadily, that's when we need to worry, right? If your reserves are going down, then definitely worry because you probably need to do something differently from the way you've done it before. So there are a bunch of ways to go about it. the quick and easy thing that the first place that I go with that sort of thing is I go to the matrix map. It's just one tool of many to get through this. With the matrix map, it helps you identify where are we strong financially? Where are we weak financially? And remember how we mentioned earlier that you might have a dog program and a cat program, knowing how they're doing financially, but then also how much is each of your activities contributing to the mission, because we might have an activity that is bringing in a lot of money, we're making a profit on it, and it's also contributing a lot to the mission. Great. That's probably something we should double down on. Sometimes we have activities that are not contributing as strongly to the mission. And when I say not contributing strongly to the mission, that doesn't mean they're not valuable, but nonprofit has a mission. And if you're the cat society, then a program for dogs probably has a low mission alignment, right? So you look at that and you also look at the financial performance of it. And if you're the cat society and you have a dog program and the dog program is losing money and it's not highly aligned with the mission, then that might be an area where you might need to really revisit its contribution to the organization, especially if you're losing money as an organization. And the matrix map is a great tool for helping engage all of your stakeholders in that question in a way that is less likely to be divisive 
if you have to have difficult financial conversations, the matrix map can help make it more objective because profitability of each program, if you're keeping good financial records, that'll come right out of your financial records. Similarly, like mission alignment, if you're the cat society, dogs are probably not a strong part of that. Camps for kids are probably even a further away from the mission, now, but that'll help you figure out, all right, what do we do differently so that we can stay financially solvent? I like how you brought it full circle to your chart of accounts and keeping good records. <laughs> you can't make good decisions if you don't have good records. It's so true. So how about the opposite end in the case of a nonprofit that's thriving financially? How can your services be beneficial? We work with organizations that are in crisis, organizations that are not in crisis, organizations that are getting ready for growth. And any of those are a good candidate for our kind of services. If you're in crisis, we're not afraid of these crises. We've been there, done that, and we're happy to help put out the fires. And sometimes you need a specialist to really put out the fires and get things back on firm footing. If you're not in a crisis, what is the old saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Because once your organization is on fire, the fix is 10 times as expensive as it would be as if we had dealt with it when it was just a teeny tiny little problem. So Getting your back office really strong and resilient is a critical thing because and there are too many organizations where they thought, well, everything's hunky-dory and they're just going along for years and years and years and years and years. And then suddenly something happens, their bookkeeper slash CFO of 20 years suddenly quits, but it happens all the time. If, if it's been one person doing all your administration for many years, there is a high risk that person is going to quit on you suddenly. That in itself is a risk. And you don't want that to happen. A good fractional CFO can help come in, identify that before it becomes a problem and help you get the things in place so that even if that person wins the lottery tomorrow and goes off to Tahiti, you are set up so that you don't miss a payroll, so that you don't miss paying the bills, so that you don't miss giving those reports back to your grantors so they continue to give you money to do your good program. And also like, if, even if things have been going hunky-dory, do you in management and to the board, are you really having good engagement with your financials? Does everybody really understand what's going on with the numbers? Are you making good strategic financial decisions? How about the budgeting process? Is it relatively pain-free or is that just awful? How about the audit process? Is that like the worst time of the year for folks or is it just a minor inconvenience? It's always going to be at minimum a minor inconvenience, but if it is a massive pain point, there are opportunities for improvement. Excellent. And if our listeners want to connect with you or find out more about your consulting services, get your expertise on accounting and finance, where can they connect with you, Sean? Thank you for asking. You know, absolutely, I'd encourage folks to follow me on LinkedIn. My name is Sean Hale, S-E-A-N-H-A-L-E. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn in terms of postings and not just accounting things, but a lot of nonprofit news, a lot of leadership-related resources. So check that out. My website is another great spot, www.seanhale.org. And you'll find a bunch of blogs, including blog posts that cover a lot of the same topics that we covered today. Great. Thank you, Sean. I want to express our sincerest gratitude for your generosity in sharing your invaluable accounting and finance experience. The show notes will abound for this episode, which is really exciting. We're excited to share all that you have to offer with our listeners. I know as founders of a fledgling nonprofit organization ourselves, we've gained a lot of good knowledge from our conversation with you. So thank you. 
Well, it's been my pleasure. Kayla, Carmen, thank you very much for inviting me on to get to know you a little bit better or to, to hearing from folks. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Everything Nonprofit. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you.